world. Pass first, point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. Listen to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in this episode. Today's episode is also the latest edition of Mailbag Monday, our weekly mailbag segment answering listeners submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved in a future episode, there are two ways to do it. You can tweet at me at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Just send me a tweet whenever you're thinking of it. It helps if you tag it as mailbag in some form or fashion. Or wait for Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time when I send out a tweet soliciting your questions. You respond to that tweet. I will do my best to get you in the show. If you are not a Twitter user or someone who doesn't tweet, that's cool. You can email me, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com is the address, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Neither rain, nor sleet, nor heat, nor gloom of night keeps mailbag away, so let's get into it. Our very first question comes from Dave, who asks, what are these coaching interviews like? Are the candidates coming in with PowerPoint presentations and examples on tape, or is it more like the scene from The Matrix where Cypher is eating dinner with Agent Smith? You know, uh, the Cypher from the first Matrix movie is like a like a perfect reference point for uh, my you know personal preferences and a certain age. But for those of you who are not familiar, either you know other whatever end of the age spectrum you're on, who's listening, it's the scene where the villain convinces one of the good guys to um, to betray his teammates or whatever but there's no negotiating he just eats a steak it's a fake steak because it's matrix but he eats a steak and he says yeah i'm on board let's do it it's like a wine dine type situation um incredible scene uh but no it is it's more like it's more like um the former than the latter uh the for the most part um i reached out to a friend of mine who's worked for um nba teams and and i don't know that this person has sat in on these coach meetings but from what they described to me it's more like uh, you come in and you present your plan for the specific team. Uh, you don't, um, you know, they've done their background on you. They know what you're like. They, you know, they chat and get to know you a little personally. But like the pitch is such that you say, here's how I would use Damon CJ. And here's how I would use Norman Powell. And last year, I feel like you didn't get a lot out of um, Derek Jones Jr. And this is how I would use him. And this is what I can see Nazir Little turning into. And here's my philosophy and how your roster fits my philosophy. Like it's really, you, you, you pitch your specific vision for that team. And like, that's, that is sort of the, uh, the interview process is, is you just like say like, you know, similar to other sort of high level interviews where you're just like, here's how I would do the job. You give me the reins to this thing. And this is, this is actually exactly how I would do it. Uh, to that point, uh, the Blazers are into their sort of second round of interviews with both, uh, LA Clippers assistant Chauncey Billups and San Antonio Spurs assistant Becky Hammond getting second interviews. Uh, that's according to multiple sources, both ESPN and the athletic have both reported it and ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski reports that Mike D'Antoni, uh, the Nets assistant, also still figures to be uh, among the Blazers coaching candidates. So um, nothing has really changed from when we sort of early started talking about this, but I think we've got 
I think we've got the three names, and it seems to be that there are um, two clear choices. Chauncey Billups, which seems to be Neil Olshay's choice, and Becky Ammon, which seems to be a very, very legitimate contender. And D'Antoni, if they're going for a veteran and not a first-time coach, that's the direction you would go. Uh, Brian Berger, who is uh, a longtime PR professional and radio host based here in Portland, says that, reported today, or tweeted today, I should say, uh, that there is, that ownership prefers Becky Ammon. That, um, uh, and I think that's, it's it, it's it's no noteworthy because um you know the ownership group if it's if it's Jody Allen specifically is what Berger said uh you know typically they have kind of let Neil have carte blanche about decisions but um this is a big you know this is a big deal and hiring Becky Hammond would be a big deal um just like regardless so uh, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out um it's hard you know there seems to be uh Becky Hammond is getting a real look. Is getting an absolutely real look. She obviously is like way qualified to do the job. She's been assistant coach for seven years under Greg Popovich. That seems like a pretty good place to learn how to coach in the NBA. Obviously, like a you know played at the highest level of basketball and was a multi-time All Star prior to that. Um, uh, bona fides obviously well above um, many of the credentials for other people who get head coaching gigs in the league. So that's not in question. But it's you know hiring the first woman would be a big deal. Um, just because it is um, the, the first of anything is always going to be a big deal. And if ownership prefers it um i don't know that that's like a i don't know that that's anything other than that's what ownership prefers but if they go in another direction it might suggest that damien lillard and the front office preferred someone else um but you know if you come down to two candidates and you choose the other one um it it, I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> it means you chose between two candidates, I think. I think is the biggest thing we can take away from there. Uh, many of you asking uh, about Becky Hammond's credentials. Uh, certainly a popular choice. Certainly, um, like I said, more than qualified to coach in the league. And if any, if there's a good place to learn... Greg Popovich seems like a pretty good, pretty good spot to learn how to coach, uh, coach in the league for sure. Next question comes from Jeff Ellsworth. That's Ellsbells08 on Twitter, who asks, "What other teams have you heard have interest in Ben Simmons, and how would their trade packages compare to what the Blazers can offer?" You got to assume that something like twenty other teams in the league will call Philly and find out what what the deal is with Ben Simmons. He is flawed and weird and strange and all of his you know and he's got real issues um scoring in a half court and playoff basketball you know winning at the highest level seems to be something that maybe his skill set doesn't allow him to do so freely but his like high-end potential if you can get him in the right situation and kind of unlock some more offensive aggressiveness and maybe get him on a roster that makes more sense and maybe just like play him at backup five a whole bunch that's something that philly just refused to do that he could be like one of the 15 best players in the league like he's already an all all nba type defender he's an elite passer um he just can't score in the half court against playoff level defenses which is a really damning thing for someone who's making who's you know on a max contract and is theoretically a point guard but i think i think every every basically every non-rebuild team in the league will consider a, what a ben simmons trade looks like um I, it's just due diligence so you know um other packages like a name that came up a uh, john hollander of the athletic wrote a story today uh uh, singling out Zach Levine in Chicago and Zach Levine is a better basketball player and a younger and younger than CJ McCollum. Like that's a better package. Um, other, you know, the money has to work and it has to be the right type of thing that the Sixers want. So, um, I don't think there's a ton of like obvious places that are, um, that are better than CJ McCollum, but CJ McCollum age 30 defensive, you know, 
defensive issues, maybe not a good fit next to Seth Curry. Uh, also owed a whole bunch of money. Like, is is he like an ideal trade candidate? No, his skill set is ideal, but there's like there's other things that go into it. Um, so I I think the Blazers would be among among the best packages, but certainly not. Um, if if everyone wants to get involved with Ben Simmons, which I think they should, because while he's um, he's he's weird, he's still very talented. Uh, it it's other teams could put together better packages. Like I said in the show that I recorded yesterday, where I did like eight whole minutes on Ben Simmons to open the show, maybe ten whole minutes to on Ben Simmons to open the show. Like the Sixers get to call twenty eight other teams. They the Blazers only get to call the Sixers once. The Sixers get to call Portland and twenty eight other teams. So uh, they will find the best package that that works for them. Great googly moogly at Gate Googly Moogly on Twitter uh, asks. Wherever he is next year, Ben Simmons has to fix his shooting issues. That said, does even a three a 25% three-point percentage shooting Simmons fit next to Nurk? Lillard Powell Covington provides a lot of space, but is it enough for Simmons to be effective? Uh, he would be a weird fit with Nurk. I mean, Nurk's ability to pass and operate um, outside of the paint is something <laughs> it's that helps a little bit open open stuff up um you know Embiid's ability to shoot threes opened up a little bit more for Simmons but it's the the problem with Ben is that he's a weird fit he's a weird fit so like he doesn't does a guy who just like refuses to shoot outside of 15 feet and then when it gets in crunch time or shoot you know, of important games refuses to shoot period is a weird fit with anyone on offense, but certainly next to any traditional center who doesn't shoot threes, like at a, like a regular, like a pretty regular clip. Uh, Simmons is a weird fit uh, on that. In that same vein, Nick P asks with all the talk about Ben Simmons, not wanting to shoot. It made me think about how Nurk seems to want to shoot. He was clearly working on that part of his game last summer. I don't think he wants to become Brooke Lopez, but does this seem to be the direction that he may go? Yeah, I mean, he definitely shot more threes this year. I'm not a fan of Nurk shooting threes. Let me be clear. I I, I want Nurk to learn to make layups, not learn to make 25-footers. Um, the Nurk I want finishes in the paint. Nah, <laughs> he doesn't shoot threes. But he did, you know, pretty respectable percentage this year on really low volume. Um, he seems to get in these sort of runs where he shoots them more. Uh, you'd rather him shoot threes than long twos. So uh, better to take a 23-footer than a 19-and-a-half-footer for sure. Um, I think... We've been talking about this forever. It's something that Casey Holdall and Joe Freeman, like Joe Freeman have literally been talking about on their um, now extinct podcast for like four years, whether Nurk is going to shoot threes. Um, maybe under a new coach that will happen, but um, it's not something I'm looking forward to, but I don't think it's out of the question that Nurk could become like a regular, you know, like a two, three point attempts a game guy. I'll hate both, both of them that he takes. If he starts taking two a game, I will, I will dislike both of them, but I think that's um, reasonable and it could, and it it's um it's the way the game is going and it's sort of the way Nurk's game is going but don't get sucked in by like all the th- if he talks about shooting threes in the preseason wait wait until we see it because he's talked about shooting threes in the preseason a lot uh adam asks does your pick for the ideal coach change based on whether or not the trailblazers can land ben simmons um not really not really like i i understand what you mean like i think like the ideal pairing with Ben Simmons and Adam mentioned this in the long, longer part of the email that uh, that I have edited down is that this is Mike D'Antoni, right? You want to see Mike D'Antoni with um, this the crazy freaky point guards, like that's that's the ideal pairing with with D'Antoni, right? Is like is is a sort of box breaking, mold breaking guy who can handle the ball and play fast. Like that's these that is the ideal sort of 
uh, D'Antoni lump of clay, right? But if you're picking between Chauncey Billups and Becky Hammonds, like you, Becky Hammond, you just like you want them to be capable of coaching the roster with um, with gravitas and a, and a distinct vision of what's next, because like you're going to hire them very likely before you shape the roster. So. Um, unless it's D'Antoni, I don't have a choice between the other two. And in theory, you, you just want to hire a coach that like sort of fits your vision and then like, okay, we want to play fast. We want to share the ball. We want to play pressure defense. And then you like build a smart roster around them. Um, but you don't want to tailor it exactly to their needs. Um, even D'Antoni, like you don't want to tailor it exactly to his needs. The like value of coaching is to be able to take the parts you have and make them better. That's like, that would be the mark of a good coach for sure. Next question comes from Bobby at BobbyVanD22 on Twitter, who asks, Will the new coach play Nazir Little the minutes I think he deserves, or am I overrating him? You know what? I don't know if a new coach will play uh, will play Nas like the minutes you think Nas deserves. Uh, Nas probably deserved to play more minutes this season, at least like longer looks. Um Terry kind of went to him. He looked like he was okay. And then he went away and never got a chance again. Uh, I didn't see Nas as like a major impact player. I don't think the Blazers lost in the playoffs because Nazir Little didn't play. But like he deserved more. Uh, he deserved a longer, more serious look this year than he got, in my opinion. He obviously dealt with some injuries and all those things. Uh, but I would have liked to see him in a sort of like positionless you're on the wing and you play hard defense against a, a someone on the wing and we'll see how it works it might have worked poorly I don't think Nas had a great when I watched him I thought he made a lot of mistakes on defense but you kind of like the the trick to coaching during the regular season is having allowing guys to kind of play through those mistakes so then when you get to crunch time games you can trust them if you shorten the rotation like the Blazers ended up doing at the end of the year you just you haven't built that trust now the short rotation worked like they wouldn't they might not have made the playoffs if if Terry Stotts didn't commit to like these are my eight best dudes and I'm going to roll there but prior to that and and they were struggling obviously um, prior to his making that commitment so like he knew what he was doing to some extent, but prior to that, in the in the thirty five games without uh, um, without Yusuf Nurkic and the twenty games without uh, twenty five games without CJ McCollum, I would have liked to see more Nasir Little, and that's why I want to give Nasir Little a little a little bit of hardware this week. He is our Michelob Ultra Player of the Week because I think Nasir Little is the one player on this roster that gives Blazer fans the most hope. The most hope that there is enjoyment and happiness and joy on the horizon. Uh, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. And the the possibility that Nazir Little turns into this real 3 and D wing is is really something that Blazer fans, um, not just you, Bobby, but many, many others who've, who've sent me similar notes uh, over the last month or all season long, really... The, Nazir Little is the guy you can say, like, what if he pops? Because he has talent to be a real impact player as soon as next season. I don't know if he has, I don't see him as like a future all-star by any means, just because of kind of like his skill set, but like a solid starter in the league, that's 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 real. And it could happen by the, you know, and it could happen as quickly as year four. And he could be a solid impact player by, you know, early next season if if he kind of um if he comes in with, you know, with his mind right and he gets and he gets put in situations where he can succeed. So remember, if, if if Nazir Little brings you joy, that's a good thing because joy creates success. And at only two point six carbs and ninety five calories, there's more to enjoy with Michelob Ultra. And and enjoyment isn't the end game; it's the whole game. Today's episode is also brought to you by Credit Karma. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help even more with Credit Karma Money Spend Account. 
you can be rewarded for good money habits. Here's how it works. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily instant karma with which is purchase, purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. All you do is pay with your debit card. If you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your instant karma cash will be added to your spend account. It's as simple as that. Credit Karma Money has already given over $3 million away in instant karma to over 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. So open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between now and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma money progress starts here. So right now, visit creditcardmoney.com, open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to free, excuse me, go to creditkarma.com slash winmoney to sign up for a free account and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services are provided by MVB Bank Inc. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. All right. Let's keep it rolling on this beautiful mailbag Monday. The next question comes from Dan H. who asks, would any other team have really paid CJ McCollum $100 million? There's a longer email from Dan that I've edited down again to one pithy question. But the point is basically that CJ McCollum in the summer of 2019 signed a $100 million extension that kicks in this when next season starts. It'll be the beginning of a three-year $100 million extension. And... Um, at the time, remember, he had just come off a 37-point game in Game 7 to lift the Blazers to the Western Conference Finals on the road. Um, it was kind of like the end of, hey, you have to stop questioning the Damon-CJ pairing. Um, I I kind of lauded this, this thing as like a no-brainer because uh, giving the Blazers... Uh, in my mind at the time, giving the Blazers sort of like future cap flexibility, they weren't going to be able to sign anyone this summer in my, it, this was my 2019 uh, brain thinking, like the the future cap space, they weren't going to bring in a player as good as Cedric McCollum. And I think that's true. Like cap space this summer, they aren't going to be able to, um, you know, they aren't going to land Kyle Lowry or, or, or Kawhi Leonard with that, with that money. And then the rest of the 2019 free agent class isn't particularly fun. But what it would have meant was that CJ McCollum was an expiring contract. CJ McCollum would have been more tradable in each of the last two seasons entering the final year of his deal, particularly after 2020. Like it would have given the Blazers a lot more flexibility. Do I think he would, that CJ would go out on the open market right now and sign a three or $100 million contract like right now? I don't. Um, I do think he could sign something like four for 80 or, <laughs> or four for a hundred or something like that. Like in the, in the 25 million plus range, um, you know, I was going to say three for 80 or four for a hundred rather. Um, like it's, it's, I, I think he's, he's like slightly overpaid, but he's slightly overpaid by like, you know, by like a whole mid-level exception type amount of money, like 8 million bucks. Um, I think 25 million annually would have been, is, would it be fair even for now, like this age, CJ McCollum, like I think he could sign that, you know, 
three three for 75 three for 80 seems like totally like reasonable money that he might make um but so to answer like your basic question no <laughs> no other team would have paid cj three for 100 million dollars and like his long-term money and the fact that sort of the blazers are locked into this group for so long and it's kind of complicating like what they do with norman powell and blah blah blah, blah. like it's bad it's 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 it was i you know at the time i believe i used the phrase no-brainer on this very podcast and so like um even people that maybe you <laughs> you think are smart thought it was um thought it was a good idea at the time and now in hindsight with the with the benefit of hindsight and, and plenty of people outside the portland market were like what is going on with that extension and i was like yeah it makes sense to me like i could see why they do it um the people out to the portland market were right it's it's dicey now and has and has limited um what this team's ceiling can be they have stayed relatively competitive with with him on the roster they're like i said they're a pretty good team but they've probably limited they've capped their ceiling at how good they can be by the, with that cj extension next question comes from vegan mindset coach at mindset vegan on twitter who asks i've heard you say a couple times that neil olshay is on thin ice in terms of job security i don't know if that's true like he's on thin ice but it's just uh he's it just like you can just read the tea leaves, right? They fired the coach because they underperformed. If they underperform again, the easiest next person to fire would be the GM. Like that's it's just just sort of logic more than like real rumors. Um, he's he's responsible for building the roster. If he builds a roster that isn't good enough and and Damian Lillard gets pissed, um, maybe heads will roll and Neil is, if you've already fired the coach, Neil is the next guy to roll, right? Uh, but Vegan Mindset Coach continues, if you could pull a GM for the Blazers out of a magic hat, who would be your top candidates? It would be Masai Ujiri. I think he's the best GM in the league. Um, he kind of shares all of the things I've value in team building um they're really into player development they have like a robust g league team i think that's incredibly important for developing young talent um they've been really diligent about developing undrafted guys like fred van vliet um you know finding second round picks like norman powell and developing them into into real players pascal siakam you know late first and developing him to you know star level players um they've been in you know for the, they were willing to keep a team together with demar Derozan and kyle lowry and try to like try to make it work and then when it didn't work they're willing to take a big swing knowing that the back half of that big swing if if it worked and it did could lead them into where they are now which is like they're a non-playoff team and they've got you know a bunch of questions for their future but um your window is always small you might as well capitalize it so Masai Ujiri um I think he's the best GM in the league and I think like when I think about like how to how to run a basketball team well he like the way he does it seems to align with sort of my my preferences, I'd say. Uh, next question comes from Tam Terrius, the Greek at Tam the Greek on Twitter, who asks, if Derek Jones Jr. picks up his option, how long before he can be traded and what could the Blazers get for him and the necessary p- and the necessary picks? Since after the draft, all the picks are available, I think it would be wise to include two or maybe three picks and go all in. Yeah, I agree with that last part. Screw the draft picks. Screw them. I know that that's um, it, it's, it really limits your capital. And if you go all in on those moves, you're kind of just locked into what you have. But the Blazers have to try to be as good as possible in the next two seasons. Screw the draft picks. I say trade them. Um, I don't know that Derek Jones Jr. plus picks like really nets you back something that's like way better than Derek Jones Jr. Like maybe it does. Um, I think he's the right like the right amount of salary to trade. Ten million bucks, like a nice mid range salary. You can get back talent for that. Like see Rodney Hood, his his deal was very valuable in in making the salaries work. You had to include a Gary Trent Jr. to make that happen. A talent, a very talented young player. But um, I'm not sure. Like by himself, Derek Jones Jr. and picks is like the way that you improve this roster. I think the way you improve this roster is something like CJ, Derek Jones, three first round picks, a second round pick in the future, and hope that it works. Um, I don't even think that is like that like sort of hypothetical package 
package I just made up doesn't exactly like net you back something and it's like a really expensive price. You'd better get back a superstar for that. But um, you like I don't Derek Jones Jr. on his own isn't isn't going to get it done. But like the the back half of your question, Tam to Greek is is right on. Like include the picks, find out works, include whatever players in the roster you got to make you got to do to make it work like be aggressive be as aggressive as possible this summer take take your big swing knowing that you may miss um i can say that because my job's not on the line but it's it is truly what i believe nathan asks let's say the blazers hire their guy and not dame's guy this is for head coach olshay improves the roster and the coach performs pretty well but dame is still unhappy and forces a trade do olshay and the coach survive um it kind of depends on what you mean by improves the roster and performs pretty well like that's that's the relative part like if dames if if they're if they're kind of back where they were this year say they're like say they finish fourth in the west and they lose in the first round of the playoffs then it doesn't matter like the coach did pretty well and dame's still gonna leave i think you know not dame's still gonna leave uh, the dame might still be frustrated i think is the best way to say that he's not like no guarantee he's gone but like he'll be frustrated that would be a frustrating way for this to end um so you got to think like you know, I, I think it's, I think it's the things that you need to sort of, um, keep Dame around would be like, you know, take it, take a big risk, show that you're willing to spend the money and, 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 you know, put your assets all in to improve the roster and then have real success on the court. Like those are, those are the two things, right? Um, and if you don't have those and Dame leaves, I don't think I I'm having trouble seeing a scenario where you could say, well, the, well, there wasn't the coach and the GM's fault. Like if they make the Western conference finals and Dame asks out, then that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother, that's a bird of a, uh, was it horse of a different color? I believe is the wizard of Oz phrase. If I was dating myself with Matrix references, where am I getting with Wizard of Oz? Goodness gracious. Um, yeah, I, I I have trouble sort of... I see what you're saying, Nathan, and it is, it is interesting, but I'm having trouble seeing um, that scenario sort of... That scenario... I'm having trouble finding the intersection of those of those two items, but um, I do think it's like a... It could happen. That's It could happen that, that Dame just decides that he's, that he's done kind of regardless, but um, it's hard for me to see like... Um, checking the box, improve and perform well. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't other also check the Dame happy box as well. Next question comes from Eli Janin at Eli underscore Janin on Twitter, who asks, does Neil throwing Terry Stotts under the bus have influence on the hiring a new coach? Does a potential coach see that and think twice before signing on to work with Neil? I mean, they see it. <laughs> they see it. Um, no, I, I mean, a chance to coach in the NBA, there's, there's, you know, there's 30 jobs in the world. Um, it's very, 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 very tight uh, job market. So uh, I think maybe at the highest levels, like maybe like a Rick Carlisle type wouldn't want to do that because he's he's also a little um, surly or bristly. And, it, um, and you know, maybe people talk to Terry Stotts and he, he says, yeah, the, like my relationship with Neil was kind of the person you see in public. Um, but... I think Neil's relatively well respected around the league. I think that press conference that he gave after the season was pretty embarrassing. Um, just because like he he was he chose to speak. He could have been prepared to not do what he did, but he chose to go he chose to go the route where he was not to blame. Um, I think it impacts coaches, but I don't think it'll have much of an impact on the coaching search. But to to act like it, the coaches definitely know. These coaches definitely know for real. Next question comes from. Gabe, who asks, I've been unable to get past the trade made for Robert Covington, since it seems like a lot to give up for a good 3 and D wing. In comparison, when the 76ers traded for Tobias Harris a few years ago, a few years back, the trade seems very similar, but obviously Tobias is more of an offensive game than Covington. How comparable are the defensive games when looking at these trades? Does 
the trade for Covington look like an overpay like it currently does to me, even if he has been helpful? If so, what updated package sent to Houston would seem like a more reasonable deal? Um, there's a lot going on here, Gabe. I, I like this question. It's very layered. Um, the trade for Tobias Harris was pro probably a ripoff for Tobias Harris at the time. He was entering free agency and they gave up two first round picks, uh, Landry Shamit and some other parts to get a guy who was going to leave the Clippers in free agency regardless. It was kind of a ripoff for what the, the Sixers paid. Um, I don't know if that's a great comparison for Covington because Covington is on a palatable deal for this year and a palatable deal for next year. Getting a guy for like two years of team control on relatively cheap. Um, he's 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 like the type of role player everyone covets. He was coming off um, a really impressive season, all of these things. Like I think the price of throwaway salary matcher and two mid first round picks is actually like, I know a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, why did they do that? But I kind of think like that's the price you would have taken to lure someone of his quality. So I don't think there's an updated package that, well, well, I can, I can see some people saying like, maybe it's an overpay. I, I, I think it is a little bit, but I also think the Blazers are in a situation where that's, that's like sort of the price of doing business. If you want to upgrade the roster without giving up a player who can play without giving up Anthony Simonson and your little, um, or Gary Trent Jr. At the time, like if you want to, if you want to trade for, um, just money, you have to give something back. And this, if you're not going to give away a young player, the something back was two two middling first round picks. Like that's, um, that's the cost of doing business. Uh, I would also note that when Robert Covington was traded as a part of a multi-team deal from Minnesota to Houston, the Rockets gave up a first round pick and Clint Capella. So like the last time Robert Covington got, got traded, the sort of cost of doing business was extremely high. So while I can see maybe you're frustrated because you want everyone to get a bargain, I... I see it as I see it as like sort of that's the re realistic price. And that's kind of why I've been harping on like what to expect with the CJ McCollum trade, because, um, you know, the other team has to agree to the plan. You got to ask yourself when you're making a deal, why would they do this? And why would Houston give up, you know, uh, the 16th pick in the draft for Robert Covington when they could just hold on to his ass and wait until someone desperately needed him? Uh, that's um, it's. They were under no pressure. This was going to be, I think this was sort of always going to be the asking price. And maybe the asking price could have been at like a sexier first round pick. Um, the Blazers happened to be the 16 and 22. And maybe the, the sort of future cost of doing business could have been a single pick, but it's like nine or something like that. All right, let's come back in the third segment, close out the show with more of your questions on this Mailbag Monday. But first, let's talk about betonline.ag. Fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. You want to bet on baseball's regular season, you want to bet on the WNBA, you want to bet on the uh, late playoff rounds for the NHL and, and the NBA, you can do that too. You want to bet on horse racing, UFC, MMA, you can do that too. Uh, it's all available on betonline.ag. It's just, it's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action, like I said. So do not wait. Get on the action right now. Head on over to their website, betonline.ag, and use the promo code Locked on when you're making your first deposit and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus. When you're making that first deposit, be sure you put in the promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show is also brought to you by rockauto.com. You can save time and money when you're using rockauto.com. That's it. That's how it works. Listen, there's 
so many makes and models of cars, it's impossible to shop at your local chain auto parts store for all the parts you need. You just, it's just not going to happen. So why endure the often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning of, hey, my 2008 Subaru Outback, uh, it's actually a sport edition. Do you have this size? Like, don't worry about that. Do, do not wait for the person behind the counter to tell you they don't have it or look through the computer and say, it's actually available at our other store only 25 miles away. Don't worry, don't get caught in the warehouse drama. Instead, go to the family business that's been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years that has reliably low prices for every customer. And they got everything you need for every make and model. So go explore their easy-to-use website and find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. And while you're there, make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box. That way, they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Still a pass first point guard, still Mike Richmond, still listening to Locked on Blazers. That music you're hearing under my voice right now, like all the music in the show, is made by Dre Slaps. And Dre has a new album out called Energy. So don't be dumb. Go search his website, which is linked in the episode description for this very episode. Buy the album, support local artists, support Dre, a supporter of this very podcast. Shout out to Dre Slaps. Buy the album, Energy, wherever you get music. All right, let's keep it rolling with more of our wonderful Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Dave underscore Fleming at Davey Fleming 8 on Twitter who asks, In regards to covering teams, how difficult is it to be critical of a player while still maintaining a good relationship with them? It's a great question. And um, without kind of throwing anyone under the bus, I think it's something I see um, very, very often in in sort of the uh, Portland market is that um, people are critical and then they they lose that relationship. Here's the trick. Here's what you do. And I I can say I learned this best from Jason Quick, um, a mentor, friend, colleague, rival, a lot of a lot of things to me over the years, but also just a great reporter and someone who I've seen stir the pot and then show up. And that's the key. If you're going to be critical of someone, you need to stand in front of them face to face and say, yeah, I said that you can't shoot. Let's talk about it. Or I said you don't deserve to start anymore. You know, I, that was me. I put my name on it. What do you want to say? You got to show your face. Um, I've seen a bunch where people have are sort of regularly critical of a player and then just never, never talk to them. Never, never, you know, never sort of get their side of the story. Not even get their side of the story. Just never show their face. Never just never face up to their bullshit. Um, so I think um, you can you can be critical if you are honest and willing to own up and stand there and be an adult and say, yeah, I said it. Yeah, I wrote it. Yeah, I podcasted about it, whatever it is. Uh, everyone in NBA locker rooms, while some of them are thin skinned, uh, both on the reporter side and the player side, for sure. And some of them have big egos, both on the reporter side and the player side, to be sure. Like they're adults. They're adults. It's all adults in the room. And if you treat someone with the respect that you would treat an adult and you say, I stand behind what I said, they will respect you. Um, it does not always happen like that. Um, and I think some people shy away from being critical because they worry about maintaining a good relationship. You see that, um, often. Uh, and then some people just don't, they just say, I'm going to be critical. I don't need the relationship and that's cowardly garbage. Um, so I think the, the trick is to stand behind what you say and then stand physically in the locker room and let, um, and, and, and be, you know, stand and stand and be willing to take the criticism back. Be willing to have the conversations with people as adults. 
Next question comes from Dr. J who asks, we always talk about trading CJ for a single player to get near equal talent at a different position in return. However, we should instead be looking at getting two pretty good players in return for one starter and one six man. These are hard to think of a priori because so many options but the example of Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Montrez Harrell as a sample, albeit not ideal, is one idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I, hate, I hate the CJ for KCP and Trez deal. I like Trez as, as like, I, I think he's like an interesting um, like personality, but I don't know as a basketball player. He's big and he can't play defense. It's hard to be, is you're, if you're going to be bad on defense, you need to be, um, you need to be middle, mid-sized. You need to be like 6'6 and bad on defense. If you're too small and bad on defense, you get picked on. If you're too big on your bad on defense, you get picked on. It's a, you got to be Luka Doncic, perfect size, six seven and bad on defense. That's a per, that's a perfect size to kind of hold your own and fake it. Uh, yeah, I, I think Dr. J is again. It's a longer email that I edited down. Uh, the idea is like it's hard to just like a straight across trade. Let's trade CJ for one guy. This one guy will be the upgrade because like just there aren't a lot of good wings available. And we've explored this in the past. If you're a regular listener, you've you've heard me say it. If not, uh, search your feeds for uh, the CJ McCollum trade episode. It's, couple weeks back it'll be obvious obviously titled as cj mccollum trades um yeah it's hard i i do think trading cj for depth might be um the way to go it just depends on like can you get you know kcp and trez is not a not an upgrade overall like but there is like a way where you get depth parts and you upgrade because you have more and better parts uh the, the way to win a championship is high high-end talent but you need depth you need versatility to get there the, the blazers have step one which is one of the top 10 players in the league they probably needed someone else who's close to that level and then you build the depth and the talent be like depth and versatility beyond that but if you can't find that otherwise like i, I do think there is something to what dr j is suggesting suggesting here is that adding a starter and a really reliable bench option is like the you know next best case scenario if you can trade instead of trading cj for one guy who's equally as good for two guys who can contribute regularly and be dependable is maybe more valuable to uh to the blazers situation next question comes from tyler bucklin at tyler bucklin on twitter who asks trading nurkic is more important to raising the ceiling of the team than cj in my opinion what do you think now tyler i'm not going to hit you with the bishop bullwinkle because I don't, I don't, I'm not going that far. But I think the what the Blazers desperately need is not to like shift around who plays center. In fact, I think they they really, um, I think trading Nurk and not getting a starting level center back sinks this team further than trading CJ and not getting starting level shooting guard back. Both because of who's on the roster and how imp- and how important just sort of like that position is to complementing what Dame does. Like it's um, finding. Uh, it's easier to find like replacement level centers for sure than it is like replacement level guards um, or just like, you know, competent replacement level means something else, but like competent starting centers versus competent starting shooting guards is easier to find uh, bigs than littles in this situation, bigs than wings. Uh, but I think what the Blazers desperately need is more versatility on defense and slightly differing skill sets on offense so they can change up so teams can't guard them the same way. Having two small ball dominant guards makes them sort of one note. And I think um, while those, while they're pretty good with one note, right? Like they're one of the, one of the 10 best teams in the league uh, to take the next step to raise that ceiling. Like you said, uh, upgrading the wing and upgrading that defense on the wing is much more important than upgrading Nurk. Um, I'd be interested in your logic, Tyler. So um, you are, you know, regular listener, uh, not a regular mailbagger, but I know you're, I know you're in there. So, 
shoot me an email and explain me the reasoning and we'll talk about it sort of um, on its own, standalone standalone segment on, on, on the value of trading NERC. I'm sure, Tyler, I know you, You'll, you've thought this out. So send me your, uh, send me your thoughts. Final question of the show comes from Dalton White at DJ21, DJW21 on Twitter. Uh, this is an old question, but it's time. We've reached the off season, so let's do it, Dalton. Dalton asks, it's not a question, actually. It's a command. Give me your Blazers all-time college basketball lineup judging only off their college stats and that happen to be on the Blazers for at least two seasons. So the at least two seasons part um, threw a slight wrinkle in here. But here is where I landed. Starting at point guard, Kenny Anderson, who averaged in college 23 Five boards, seven assists, two and a half steals, and was a 1991 consensus All-American. Kenny Anderson was a beast at Georgia Tech. Um, don't, don't get it twisted. Absolute, absolute beast at Georgia Tech. At starting the two guard, I've got Juan Dixon, whose final three seasons at Maryland averaged 18.9 points, 4.8 rebounds, three assists, was the ACC Player of the Year, the a consensus All-American, and the NCAA's most outstanding player in 2002, leading the Terrapins to the title. Juan Dixon, this is like a proximity thing. Like I watched Juan Dixon play a bunch in college. He was a monster. He was so, so good. An all-time great college basketball player. Other guys competed for this spot. Uh, Juan Dixon was, he was, um, I'll, I'll tell you who, who he beat out after this. Uh, in third, or in third, at small forward, playing the three, we've got Carmelo Anthony, who only played one season in college. So I was, I didn't, I didn't want to put him there necessarily. He wasn't my first choice, but the dude averaged 22 and 10. And then he had 33 and 14 in the final four and then 20, 10 and seven in the national championship on way to be naming way to be named the most outstanding player of the tournaments. He was a consensus all American. He was a big East player of the year. He was, um, he was the best player in college basketball. That's who he was. Uh, and he's, uh, it was a it was a short time, but just twenty two and ten is just a monster monster freshman season. Got to give it to him. Playing power forward, maybe a little bit out of position, but we're going big. Who cares? This is a giant lineup with with Melo at the three, anyways. Uh, is Bill Walton, who averaged twenty point three points, fifteen point seven rebounds, and five and a half assists, a three time consensus All American, and a two time NCA most outstanding player of the tournaments when they won two championships at UCLA um an all-time great an all-time great college star um you know since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar there just hadn't been a UCLA guy like that and then Walton kind of rejuvenated um UCLA basketball in the early 70s and then came and and, and you know was a legend here in Portland in his in his brief stay uh but 20, 2016 and five and a half is wild numbers. And starting at center, a two-time consensus All-American from the University of Minnesota, Michael Thompson. Average uh, 23, 10 and a half, two assists. Just, um, just I mean, he was, he was the reason why he went number one overall. One of the best players in college basketball. Um, there were some names I left off the list. Uh, Kurt Thomas, a monster at TCU, only played one season in um, in Portland. Uh, Jim Jackson would have would have been another guy who's who kind of borderline on the list. Walt Williams, who um, his senior year at Maryland, Walt Williams averaged twenty six point eight, five point six, three and a half assists, two point one steals. Walt Williams was a freaking monster his senior year at, at Maryland. Um, but he only played one season with the Blazers. Uh, incredibly fun one season, but one season nonetheless. Uh, 
Other guys on, on my list, Marcus Camby was really, really good at UMass. Uh, Andre Miller was really good uh, at, at Utah. Damon Stoudemire was an All-American at, at, at Arizona. Caleb Swanigan was a fantastic college basketball player at, at Purdue. Um, didn't ever play for the Blazers, but has worked for the Blazers for a lot of years. Hersey Hawkins was uh, one of the best scorers in the country at Bradley back in the day. Um, so he, I added him to the list just because I thought of him, but a uh, uh, Blazer employee, but not a Blazer player. And, and the name I left off the list, the name that I was debating between both Juan Dixon and Carmelo Anthony was Evan Turner. His final two years at Ohio State, he averaged 18.8 points, 8.1 rebounds, 4.9 assists. He was a consensus All-American and Naismith Award winner. Like he was, you're looking at the best player in college basketball. Like as Evan Turner once told me, I was a phenom back in the day until the NBA came and hit. I have, I've classically missed people in the past. Like when I had a, uh, when I had to make a team of all Michaels and I forgot Michael Thompson and then I got a million emails and tweets. They're like, how are you so stupid to forget Michael Thompson? So if I forgot someone, if I did not get an, an elite all time, great college basketball player who played for the Blazers, give me your names, give me, give me your names. Send, send me the, send me your list or send me the people you think I left out and I'll, uh, I'll shout them out in a future mailbag. Uh, if you want to get involved in a future mailbag at Mike G rich on Twitter or email me locked on at gmail.com. We do this each and every week, so come back. I, I record these episodes on Monday nights and post them on Tuesdays. We're going to keep them rolling all off-season long. Uh, I enjoy doing them. I know that many, many listeners are enjoy them as well. So if you want to get involved, uh, I'd love to have you. If you just like listening, I appreciate that as well. Tell your friends about this podcast. Tell them they can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Lockdown Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.